0: If there's an issue you're super passionate about, one way to get involved is to donate money to the cause. In other words, putting your money where your mouth is. But if your spending plan doesn't really have room for donations, there are other ways, of course, you can make a difference. Today, I talk about how you can do just that with Levi Aaron, a venture partner and investor who has given a lot of thought to this personally, as he's thought through how he can make the biggest impact in supporting Israel. If you're trying to figure out how you can help with Israel or any other cause you care about, Levi has some advice for you. Levi, Aaron, welcome to Money Rehab.
1: Thanks, Nicole. Good to be here.
0: So we had a meeting set up between a mutual friend of ours to talk about business. And in the meeting, we got on the subject of Israel because pretty much for both of us. And for so many, that's the only thing anyone can think about. And then you told me about a list you had been working on. Can you tell our listeners about that list?
1: Yeah, sure. So as you mentioned, when all these horrific attacks started to become apparent on the 7th of October, initially, even before the global news networks were picking up on all the details and reporting what was happening, WhatsApp groups around the world started to sort of light up as communities and what was happening on the ground, literally the eyewitnesses and families on the ground were communicating through WhatsApp and so- social media, trying to get out the message, what's actually happening. And the WhatsApp groups that I was part of started to really start um, getting a lot of traction and seeing things that couldn't be unseen and hearing things that were just unimaginable happening. And so in those early days, I think our hearts and souls were broken. And as the scale of the impact that had taken place started to become apparent, we were just totally flawed and not knowing what to do. And I think a lot of people who had a sense of control or understanding or feeling of of they can affect change totally didn't know what to do. And all these conversations are going back and forth on these WhatsApp groups. And there's one that I'm part of, which is a venture community WhatsApp group for a whole lot of different people. And during those back and forth about trying to help and the world was mobilizing around, like to start donating money and support in any other way that we could... I sort of looked at it and said, well, what can I do here? I'm based in Los Angeles. And I thought that maybe there's something that I can do in our world, which is the venture capital world, to help people stand up and bring some unity and to really stand up and say, this is just unacceptable. And so through a few of us um, on that group chat, there was uh, Harry and Erica and Andrew, and these are people who came together and started a side chat saying, we should put a statement out there. We should think about something that can put out there that will unify the venture community around what we believe is a community statement in support of Israel from the venture community globally. At the time, we thought maybe we get 100 VCs on board. That would be amazing. We put together a statement. There's a lot of smithing of that statement. It's a very sensitive emotionally drawing thing that is going on around the world right now? And how can we come together and put some words together on a paper that makes some sort of sense that people can rally around and talk? And we are surprised that within a few hours, we got to 100 and then 200 and 300. And today, there's about 800 VCs globally who have signed this document, which we can link later on, around the venture community's support for Israel during this horrific time.
0: And can you give us a little sneak peek behind the curtain and explain why you wanted to not just put a statement out, but this list together and what goal motivated that action?
1: Yeah. So as a Jew living outside of Israel, someone who lived in Israel, someone who worked in Israel for the Bank of Israel at the time, which is like the federal bank in Israel, or someone who served in the Israeli Defense Force during my period that I lived in Israel. And for someone who had a child born in Israel, I feel very, very connected to the land there, and I felt very lost. And living overseas in Los Angeles, what is my role here and what can I do? And looking at the news that we saw within the few days that came out after the 7th of October, Israel and her defense force called up 360,000 reservists to come and help and defend and do what needs to be done in order to rid the world of the terror that we've seen. And it's also known that they had 150% turn up to that call-up, meaning more people turned up than were actually called up. And what I sort of reflected on is that whilst I'm not living in Israel, and many of us are not living in Israel, humankind has been called up. As humans around the world, we need to be called up. And the question is, what division do you belong to? Do you belong to the PR and comms division? Do you belong to the division that's raising charity for money that's much needed to Get supplies out to people who need that most and on the front lines? Do so you belong to the support team that is helping people who are mentally, physically, psychologically challenged right now because of what's happened? And you want to open up your lines as a, as a therapist in the US or whatever it may be and donate hours where people can call and you can talk to? Or are you helping families relocate and get clothing and bear essentials that they need because they can no longer live in their homes or live in the areas that are that have been attacked? And so. We have all been called up and it doesn't matter where you live in the world, you need to work out which division you belong to and how you can help and really make an impact to people around you and also to people in Israel.
0: I really love this idea and I love the way you put that, that we're all called to duty. We're just in different divisions. And I'd love to do some blocking and tackling for listeners who might want to do something similar. I'm sure in those WhatsApp groups, you were with entrepreneurs, founders, VCs who are used to being really in control and knowing what to do in in situations. And I'm sure that trying to come up with a list was your way of taking action. Can you take us through a step-by-step process for how the list came together and who did you reach out to? How did you reach out? What did you say?
1: Yeah, definitely. So As mentioned, this chat would be going on with over 500 people, mostly venture capital people who are in the space. And then a few of us, as I mentioned before, reached out. So Harry Valner, who's the founder of Seaside Ventures, Erica, who's the GP of Park Rangers Capital, Andrew, who's part of Irrelevant VC. We made a side chat and decided to have a conversation around how we can actually put something out there to create a unity. And the reason is, it's not just a piece of paper that goes out there and it is signed, What we wanted to be able to do is foster discussion in all of the VC firms that are signing or considering signing, and they see that their VC has come out with this stance of unity for Israel. It definitely fosters conversation within businesses. Every conversation that I've been in over the last two weeks unrelated to what's going on in Israel, it always comes up. People say, well, how are you feeling? How are you doing? And the amount of reach-outs that I've had from people I haven't spoken to in years or just in general to just check in personally at how I'm doing and do I have family that's affected? Mm-hmm. A- and the point is I do have family that's affected. I have family that's living in Israel. Close yeah. friends of ours, their kids were killed two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And so it's 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 just incomprehensible what's actually happened. And so when we sit down together and we start writing we want to bring this unity and this letter out there, it's not just for a piece of paper. It's so that we can foster conversations within companies, within business, that this is something that we need to talk about. And so we drafted all this and we all have our own networks. And I think that for some people, they talk about six degrees of separation. And in some areas and some people have one degree of separation. And so yeah. you're able to reach out to founders of funds. You're able to reach out to people within government. You're able to pe- reach out to your own networks and everyone knows somebody. And so we started quite small and that's why our target initially was maybe we get hundred VCs, but even ourselves forgot how powerful our networks can actually be. And so we reached out through text, through email, through calling people and through it's sort of got a life of its own. And People would start sending to me saying that the VC that I work for should sign. I'm like, yeah, we've already signed it. So we're in and thank you so much for sharing it. But we also got a mixed reaction. I mean, we had many people who were so happy to be part of this and sign. And then there were also a number of VCs and many VCs who didn't respond. And then there were some who did respond and said, look, I myself have donated. or I myself know people over there. And I'm helping my own way. But working for the VC that this person who said to me is working for, we just don't sign these type of statements because we've decided not to make a political statement on any subject out there. It's not what our firm does. And so whilst we believe and we empathize, we can't officially sign that because we don't make political statements, which to me was like, this is not a political statement. This is a humankind statement. We have not seen in modern Israel or in the modern world, atrocities like we just saw. And so for me, it's not political, it's human. And so at the same time, I also respect people in their position or where they are, but it's important for us to call on people to step up and, and make that change.
0: How did those responses make you feel?
1: Overwhelmingly, as I said, quite surprised about how many people actually signed and did this, which was, which was great. As someone who's lived there and, again, as a human being, some of the responses were, and this was a small proportion to put it in perspective, it was just disappointing that you can run a fund that's raised billions of dollars or close to that, but you can't say what you actually want to say for fear of being taken the wrong way or it may affect future investment or it may affect other things versus just saying what you actually want to say, but you're too scared to say it.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you didn't believe them. I wouldn't personally.
1: Look, I've been in, in, companies and startups and business for you know close to 25 years. And I've been on the PR side, I've been on the government relations side, I've been on many different areas and I know how the PR machine works and I know how comms work. And I can understand from a company point of view, especially if you don't have direct relationship with what's going on, as in people that you physically know that are in that situation at an arm's distance, you can be quite, you know, we don't comment on this. But I think there's a time and place for everything. And this is very, very different to anything we've seen before.
0: Yeah, I agree. And have you had any responses from entrepreneurs or founders looking to raise money?
1: Yeah. So, well, I think we all know that Israel is a startup nation on a, a regular good day and still today. Uh, and so many great startups have been born out of Israel. I mean investment these days comes out of Israel and we just have to look at sort of what's going on in the world with the tech today and without even, you know, touching AI and all the other sort of, you know, front page news that's been happening in the tech world, Israel plays very heavily into that. And so founders out there who are hoping to work with founders in Israel or employ the smarts and tech from Israel or anything else like that, do feel that affinity. And there's not a conversation that I've had with anybody on any playing field about anything over the last two weeks, that is what does not come up in that conversation. And so for me, that's warming to know that it's front of mind for the majority of people. But again, these are the circles that I'm in. That's the microscope that I view things at. But I think also more today than even last week, the world stage is changing. And so we're seeing in the news that comes out even the news the other day regarding what took place in Gaza around a hospital bombing and how that news was first reported, which was just total misinformation and wrong. And then the problem is the damage is done two days later when people start correcting about what actually took place and who was actually responsible. That's now i not even noticed anymore because the damage was done by those headlines globally, people don't actually are not educated in what's been going on over the last 50 years, what's been going on over the last 3000 years. And so we also need to help people educate what's and be educated about what's actually taking place, not just today, but what has been taking place over decades, so that people, when they have conversations at the office, on Zoom calls, or whatever it may be, they actually have the right information. They can have productive, constructive conversations, less so these hateful things that we are seeing around the world.
0: Yeah, and just to drive the point home, you probably take this idea for granted. If you are a killer startup, if you're crushing it and you want to raise money or you don't want to raise money, that's when VCs want to throw money at you, right? And so you really have the choice, which is very high-class problems, to say no to capital. And so I imagine just to really tie a bow on this, like you wanted these superstar founders and entrepreneurs when they're in that position to look at this list and say, "Hmm, I don't know, this is like inconspicuously not on the list or this fund or this, this company is just not on the list. They don't support Israel. And so there's plenty of other VCs who will give me their money. So I'll just go to them instead.
1: No, definitely. And I think also, especially if you look at Gen Z today, Gen Z is very mission focused and they want to understand who sits behind what i think when you're raising money you can raise money from many different sources and as you would know you can get money from many different sources and and taking money from number one strategic and at the same time in parallel like value driven is super important as well one of our portfolio companies had an acquisition offer recently and they're pre-revenue and we actually ended up together the portfolio company recommending to turn down the acquisition offer and the reason was, is that we weren't sure what the mission was of that acquirer, potential acquirer, and what other portfolio companies may be in that other acquirer's sort of portfolio, which may or may not help in the future for, for this portfolio. And so not always is money the answer. It's about having strategic and value-driven, mission-driven ways of being able to partner up.
0: Absolutely. And we had Dan Senor on the show last week talking about Startup Nation, talking about How much tech is going on? How many multinationals have set up offices in Tel Aviv? And so if somebody's listening to this and saying like, oh, well, who cares? Then don't don't take money. They'll give money to somebody else. But like if you were the first money into Waze, which is an Israeli company, like you made a shitload of money. And so getting in on these hot startups is actually not having access to them because of whatever stand you took. It's harmful, will be detrimental to your long term business.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if anyone's using this list right now. It was not the intention of the list to use the list and see who has signed and who hasn't signed. And therefore, that will make a founder or a fund or fund decide whether they're going to invest funds into that VC or a founder, whether they're going to go have a conversation with that VC. The list wasn't intended to be divisive in that way, but it was more put out there to be, this is a unity list. And this is something where we want to show support as a VC community for Israel. And so step up and be countered. And don't just put your name down, which is great that you did, but foster conversations in the workplace. Talk about this at your all hands. Recognize what's actually going on in the world and mention it and and have those conversations. Because what we also know is that, again, on the social media and the PR front and cons front, there's things happening every day where in workplaces, people are tweeting stuff or that people are putting out posts or whatever it may be around their own personal feelings. And some of the posts that are coming out are horrible, and there's a lot of fake news out there as well. I mean, the other day there was a post around something that Uber had posted, but that was later on told to be false. There was something that Starbucks had posted, which was quite negative to Israel, but ended up was actually wasn't Starbucks that posted; it was Starbucks Workers Union. So there was a lot of different things going on where people are being very quick on the button to push things out there, which. They don't even understand the scale and the impact and how wrong these messages are. And so rather than putting out divisive messages, we want to put out messages of unity because Israel needs to support humanity, needs to support Israel of what they just went through.
0: And I really love the point, Levi, that you make about all of us being called up here. What are some other examples that you've seen of people finding their own personal ways to serve? Yeah, so it's interesting. Hold on to your wallets. Money Rehab will be right back. Do you ever get FOMO, fear of missing out? Well, do you ever get FOMO Tupita, fear of missing out on the perfect hire? Money rehabbers, you have money hidden in your house. Yeah, just hiding there in plain sight. Okay, so I don't mean you have gold bars hidden somewhere in walls, treasure map style, but you do have a money-making opportunity that you're just leaving on the table if you're not hosting on Airbnb. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. By hosting your space, you are monetizing what you already own. And now for some more money rehab.
1: So I was just watching a, a video around what's happening in Israel at the moment in terms of the relocation of all these families from down south, because those areas are no not deemed to be safe even right now. And so all these families have relocated, and then there are also families who unfortunately have lost almost the entire family, or their houses destroyed, or whatever it may be in a situation that... And so there's someone that, that I know of who's created a sort of a resource center within Israel, where they've taken over a whole building with four or five floors and just taking clothing, donation, toys, education. And they've over 3,000 volunteers who just rocked up at this place to say, how can I help? And they're being allocated shifts of where to go and who to see and what families to visit. That's in Israel. Outside of Israel, and I'm living in Los Angeles, and so whether it's creating marches, solidarity marches, there was one that took place the other day on Pico Boulevard, all the way up to the Simon soul Center, and have conversations around that to show support publicly, that we're not sitting by and not doing anything, but then also more on the equipment side. So Going back to one degree of separation, a close friend of mine works within the Israeli government and put out a message that they need a certain type of bulletproof vest and they need 200 of them for a specific unit within Israel. And the issue is is that people are giving a lot of funds for helmets and bulletproof vests and protective clothing, but majority of this hasn't been ballistically tested. And so there's thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars going into supplies and product and being sent to Israel that Israel may or may not be able to use. And so... It's so hard when everyone wants to do good and these charity sites are popping up knowing where everything needs to go and there's not enough time to have validation and certification about what's correct and what's not correct and so there are people here in LA who are spending their time to make sure they can do this properly and send the right things and so the call went out from my friend that I mentioned before and so I was able to validate the sources of where this came from, the amount of funds that is needed to get this. And there's only a few factories in the world that make the certain type that they need and how to secure those actual products and how to then get it from wherever it's coming from to its rightful destination. I have friends that are working on the food side. There's been a number of chartered planes that have been left from the East Coast or West Coast across the US, taking soldiers who've received or which means urgent call-up, for their units. So these are Israeli citizens who happen to be either living in the US or traveling in the US at the time, and also globally, that their units have been called up. And so their own colleagues, people that they were were shoulder to shoulder with over the years in training, in, in doing missions, have been called up, and they're stuck here in the US with either not the funds to go back, or no means, you know, of communication or what, what needs to happen. And so individuals out of their own pocket have said, hey, I have a 777 plane that's available, that's going to be taking off from LAX at 10 a.m. on Tuesday. If anyone shows up with a legitimate, you know, army card with a legitimate call-up, they can join that plane and I'll fly them there myself. And we have people on the East Coast who've gone there to JFK with a credit card and said, as long as we can verify who you are, we'll pay for your ticket right now and get on a plane and you can go where you need to go to support to do whatever you may need to do. And so everyone in their own capacity of finding means necessary to help. And also prayer helps and and solidarity helps. And so there are people who are working out prayer where people can come together and pray together or vigils where they can hold candles and just support because none of us really know how to cope with this. And so our coping mechanism is move into action, do something, help people, get on a call, raise money, see how you can support, call somebody. And so that's what we're doing. But I think also a time is going to come when all this is going to sink in. And we stop watching the horrific videos and people should stop watching those. They should watch the interviews of the survivors because what they hear from those survivors is super important. But really try and do what you can. But there will be a time for many now and for many in the the near future where once that activity stops, the real heaviness of what has actually taken place is going to sink in and become quite sad and desperate.
0: And you're no stranger to service. You were in the IDF when you were how old?
1: So I was in my 20s. So, I and- moved to Israel when I was in my 20s. So, typically, if you live in Israel, you have to serve three years. And as I moved there in my 20s, I only had to do one year.
0: And how long were you in active duty?
1: So, I was in six months active and six months reserve, but then the reserve continued. My unit was what we call in English the Home Front Command, which is called RF RRF. Uh, so, this is a unit which is very much there to not only help on the home front of Israel, but has been called up many times and gone overseas to help. So as we know, for example, what took place in Florida with the surfside collapse of the building, that was the unit that went to Florida to help with the relocation of the bodies and to help out where they could. When there was an earthquake in Albania, so this unit went and goes overseas to try and help. The unit is equipped with a whole lot of different devices and ability to do search and rescue and really be strong. And when I was uh, in the unit, it was during the second Gulf War. And so we had to train in hazmat uniforms, um, be able to do what we need to do. Um, And so when you go and serve, and this is where it really came home to me in a very, very strong way, was that you do three months training at a training base, and then you do three months specialized training, and then you go into service. The training base that I trained on is a base called Zikim which is in near a city called Ashkelon. On October 7th, Zikim was one of the first bases that was attacked from the sea, from Gaza. And what needs to be understood is that in September, that is when the drafts come in to have their training. The people who are on the base in Zikim were people who hadn't only been in the army for maybe four weeks or five weeks. These were new trainees. And what took place on that base, the base was overrun, people were killed in ways that is just horrific. And it was the beginning of that morning. And so that base was overrun. That was the base that I trained on.
0: When you first heard about the attacks, did you think about going back to Israel, going on active duty again?
1: So it's been a really difficult time over the last two weeks, and I think very hard to focus. Over the last two weeks, should I stay or should I go has been an extremely front of mind, conversation with myself and with my family. I have a 10-year-old daughter and spoke to her at lengths the way that you would speak to a 10-year-old daughter because I think it's important that we shield our our children to a point we don't want to see things that they can't unsee but at the same time they are very acutely aware that there is what is going on in the world and so for now I've made the very tough decision of I want to stay here, do what I can, support where I can through the one degree of separation that I have with many people on the ground there and support in the biggest way that I can. But it is something that I struggle with on a daily basis about what I could do. And even though it's been many years since I've been in the Army, the way you're trained and what you're trained is not something you forget. um, And you're able to be called up and do what you need to do. But there are also many other ways to help. You may go to Israel and may go directly with a unit to a base and, and be deployed. You may be in a unit on standby, or you may go to areas that are under fire or areas or towns that are quite at risk and join patrols and join what we call a being on alert. So you might walk around perimeters, do perimeter watches. You may not be working directly for the army, but you'd be working for that town or that village or that area and seeing what else you can do on the ground. And so, as I mentioned before, the army called up 360,000 people because that's what they figured that they needed for now. But 150% turned up. And a lot of those people were actually taken in or told to go to other areas where they could really help and support. And so I believe Israel needs all the support it can get in every way possible. And so for today, I've decided not to go and help as much as I need to. And we all hope that this ends a lot faster.
0: Amen. We end all of our episodes by asking our guests for a tip listeners can take straight to the bank. For this episode, I would just love your advice on what somebody can do if they're trying to figure out how they can stand up and serve.
1: I think you need to play to your strengths. What is your strengths? What are your networks? What are your community? What are you able to do? For some people, raising money or donating some of their own savings or funds into different legitimate ways or causes is one way you can do that. If you have more means than someone else and you're able to do that, 100% do that. But even if you have small means, you can do that. But if that's not your forte and you have a podcast and you're out there and you're able to amplify a message and call for help or for unity or to actually expose what's happened so that there's no misinformation about what actually happened, then use that as a platform. Um, If you're able to support people who, even in our communities here in Los Angeles, in New York, in other areas that I've been over the last few weeks, you can see people are suffering. People who have their siblings have been directly affected, killed, hurt, kidnapped, or communities that they've lived in once upon a time. And people are struggling to deal with what to do with all this information. So if you can be a shoulder even to your neighbor, to someone else, it's important whether you can show th- support through any which way you can do it. I would say choose one thing and do that.
0: Money Rehab is a production of Money News Network. I'm your host, Nicole Lappin. Money Rehab's executive producer is Morgan Lavoy. Our researcher is Emily Holmes. Do you need some money rehab? And let's be honest, we all do. So email us your money questions, moneyrehab at moneynewsnetwork.com to potentially have your questions answered on the show or even have a one-on-one intervention with me. And follow us on Instagram at moneynews and TikTok at money News network for exclusive video content. And lastly, thank you. No, seriously, thank you. Thank you for listening and for investing in yourself, which is the most important investment you can make.